He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a rat. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to week 38 of A Good Talk Spoiled Golf Podcast. I'm James Richardson, and this week I'm thankfully joined by the full complement of players here. Barry O'Hanrahan. Hi, Barry. Hey, guys. Uh, Bobby Donnelly. Hi, James. And uh, again, live on Skype uh, from Sweden, we have Alan. After a week of celebrating your victory over Alan and, and his friends at the golf tournament. Over How are Bob, you? wasn't it? Over Bob, yeah. sorry, yeah. The highlight of my year so far just shows how sad my year's been. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, thank you uh, everybody who's got in touch with us over the course of the week and for all the feedback. If you'd like to get in contact with us about this week's podcast or would like any... Um, topic to be discussed or any issues to be discussed, you can get us on at podcastgts, which is our Twitter handle, or our email address is a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. Um, I suppose where we always start again is the um, our own our own games, and this week I didn't particularly play that well and probably got the best out of a bad round, so I'm going to move very quickly on. Um, Barry, you played this weekend, how did you get on? Uh, I slipped back to 13 on handicap. I had a couple of catastrophic holes, and they they killed they killed. So I missed the buffer by one. Only one shot between the two, you know. One, yeah. What was the gap at the start of the year, actually? Enormous, about 12. Oh, no, man. I think it was. I was what I started at 11 or 12. You started at 17. Uh, well, I started at 16 and went out to 17. 16, yeah, 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 yeah. So I spent a week or two weeks at 17 and then went backwards. So I'm going downwards. Somebody's going outwards. Yeah, we'll meet somewhere in the middle. And the end of year review will be interesting when it comes to December. It's not good. I need qualifying to hang on as long as possible <laughs> for all those point ones you're getting back. Yeah, yeah I want to get back to 14 before the winter league <laughs> to win a few turkeys. Um, uh, Bob, did you play at the weekend? I did, played uh, the second round of the Captain's Prize, but I didn't qualify for the Captain's Prize. We played Captain's Plate, which, as a couple of people so nicely put to me, is the competition for the losers. Oh, yeah. So I shot five over. So I don't know. Actually, I didn't feature at all, but played okay. I had three bad holes. It just kind of ruined it for me. I was kind of one over after ten, and then just had a few bad holes, and that was it, and then part of my way in. But um, my most eventful thing, which actually didn't shake me too much, I was playing the fourth in the O'Meara's houses all down the left-hand side, and I was waiting for the couple of lads to play. So I decided to take what I would refer to as a commercial break, and there's, <laughs> there's houses all down the left-hand side. So I had a look, and I saw nobody in the house. I was like, this should be fine, but there's a V-shaped ditch, went into the ditch behind the bush. So I was like, fine, whoever, if somebody's in the house, they can't see me anyway. Sure enough, started off and I see the conservatory door opening and this guy comes out and I'll put it rather more politically correct than the way he put it he said uh, I'm having my breakfast would you mind and I was like oh sorry 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 and then he says and also while you're at it get off my effing land as well so um, and the commercial break was running the whole time when he was giving it no, to you there was no break in the commercial break <laughs> were you having a one or a two um, only only a one yeah <laughs> Maybe he would have took serious defense of his number two. 
<laughs> so that was it. But otherwise, yeah, no, I played okay. You now so kind of starting to play a bit decently, you know. So out of curiosity, after that happened, how was your tee shot? <laughs> well, actually, I had, I had, I was coming third shot into the par five from over all bunkers to a tight enough flag. Chips to eight feet and just lipped out in the birdie putt. So maybe I should bring him caddy with me every <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alan, uh, we got a tweet over the uh, over the week, and and again, thank you for everybody who does tweet in. And uh, it was from Owen Hutchinson who was asking about our own equipment and uh, was there any new equipment in our bags? And I think over the weekend you were actually trying out some new equipment. Uh, could you tell uh, Owen and I suppose the podcast listeners more importantly what you were trying out and how you got on? Yeah, well, I was. I suppose I was a bit burned out from um, the exertions of last week, so I only actually did a bit of practice uh, at the weekend. But I picked up two new Titus Voki SM5 wedges, so I picked up a 60 degree and a 56 degree because um, the ones I've been using are the old. The really old spin mill ones, mm. and, I, and I pretty much burnt a hole in them at the moment. So I tried the new wedges, and there's there's a new feature on these wedges now where they build a different type of grind, they call it. So there's six types of grind across all the types of SM5 wedges they have. Um, and I don't know a huge amount about it, but I think it, 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 it deals with how the club sits on the ground um, when you're playing your shot. Um, so, and also, I think it, it's how the style of player that you are. So, I think if you're a digger, yeah. or if you slide the club along the ground, you get a different grind. I think is this a more modern version of it, the bounce off a wedge? Or I think it's linked to how the bounce is shaped. Yeah, it's a shape that combines with the bounce as well, and a lot depends on the the turf conditions as well. So, if you're playing a links course, you'll have a lot less bounce and a different style of grind than you would if you're playing a very boggy, wet parkland course. But I think the grinds are very much linked to the bounce. So if, if you go for a high bounce, there's a section of grinds. And if you go for low bounce, there's a different section of grinds. But uh, I did a fitting, Alan, in Carton House on my 56 degree. And he must have been talking to me for about five ten minutes about the grind. And I don't have a clue what he was on about in terms of... He was saying to me, oh, you should get at this sort of grind. And I think it's, I got the M grind, I think, maybe. And yeah, that's what I got. That's for Masters, is it? And now I think he had more derogatory <laughs> term for me. But, uh, Most but in need of help. Yeah, possibly something like that. So, um, but... but I- the one thing I suppose I like about it, because I, I actually open the loft on my wedges quite a lot when I'm hitting shots, and I find the grind I got on the M wedge, it's it's actually much easier to get under the ball to get to get the ball up in the air. I find it sits much better on the turf. Um, now, the only thing about the wedges, which I, fa- I found there is a reasonable reduction in spin, and I'd be very much a spin chipper. I always have been, and I actually found I've lost quite a bit of spin from using these two new wedges. And this is obviously to do with the new grooves. Um, obviously, the, the, the non-conforming grooves are now a thing of the past. So these new grooves are a bit different, and that was a, that was a little bit of heartache for me. Now I have to say, when I was hitting the few, I, I practiced for about two hours with them, and uh, so there's a bit of an adaptation process, I think. The reason for that as well is that the tightless Volky wedges. So there was the spin mill wedges that you were referring to. Then there was SM4. Then there was SM5, and when they brought in the SM4s, the rules, the RNA and the USGA stipulated that 
the companies are now they're not allowed they change the grooves to I think it's U grooves is it? As yeah. a, whereas it used to be V grooves and so the old wedge that you would have had is referred to as non-conforming and you're allowed to use non-conforming until 2022 so I still have a non-conforming wedge and that's what you were changing on. You were changing from a conforming wedge to, to uh, or sorry, from a non-conforming yeah. wedge to a conforming. So you've noticed that there is considerably less spin, yeah? Yeah, and even the, the, the non-conforming one that I have is, like, it's very old, and, and I've absolutely battered the face off it at this stage. Yeah, yeah. It's ruined, but I still get more spin with that wedge than I do with these new ones now, which is the interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. And okay. it's, 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 as I said, it's, it's pretty soul-destroying, especially for me, because I play, obviously, in Milltown and... There's kind of small greens, and you can you can short size yourself very easily around there. So I actually uh, I find I need the extra spin. Yeah, and the funny thing is the SM5s are a big step up on spin wise from the SM4s. Yeah, I tried an SM4. I actually bought an SM4 uh, about 18 months ago, and I think I used it twice, and I pretty much threw it in the bin because it was just <laughs> it, was like, it was like hitting an eight iron or something in terms of spin. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, I have to say I uh, very interesting about the grinds, and and certainly I hope. The podcast listeners found it interesting, and um, I think it's something I need to have a better look at. I think uh, after Owen's tweet, we might start to try and incorporate a bit more on a weekly basis about equipment today, because it was a great suggestion from Owen. And like I know um, we're all looking probably at changing clubs, and Owen was asking me is there anything we're excited about. And I noticed a couple of things coming up that we all are interesting, are interested about. So we'll try and do that maybe on a weekly basis. Yeah, and I I, I know that I'm in the process of looking at a few gadgets that I'm going to try and incorporate into my game for the winter in terms of a few bits and pieces, so I'm going to certainly we'll talk about that in greater detail. And um, Well, that was our own games, and uh, as I say, thank you to Owen for, for the great suggestion. And again, if anybody has any suggestions that they want us to talk about, the Twitter handle is at PodcastGTS. Um, so moving on then, this is the point of the, the, the show that we talk about the uh, rules-related question, and again, Alan last week narrowed the gap now only to two. Barry leads twenty to eighteen, and the question this week is: During a round, Bobby accesses local weather information, including wind, temperature, and humidity, through an app on his phone or on an internet browser on the smartphone. What is the ruling? A. No penalty. B. A two-stroke penalty, or C. A disqualification. Barry, you are first. I have no right to be confident, but I know this. I know this answer. So um, I'm going to go with no penalty because he's not measuring the conditions. That's, that's my that's my thought process. Okay. So Barry is going with A. And uh, Alan? Hmm. Barry's kind of throwing me for a loop there because I was pretty confident Bob was in a bit of trouble. Um, I don't think you're allowed to access that kind of information during your round. I definitely don't think you're a match play. Um, hmm. I'm going to... I was leaning towards DQ, but you're going the other way now, so maybe I'll just meet you in the middle and I'll just say a two-shot penalty. Oh, no, two-shot penalty doesn't sound right. Actually, no, I'm going to go with DQ. Roll the dice, go for it. Alan is going with the DQ. Well, as we have done in the past and we're going to do again this week, I'm just going to give the answer now. And unfortunately, Alan, you are going in the wrong direction. Um, I'm going to, as as another person who tweeted in, asked us just to give the actual reasoning behind the rules. I'm going to do it again because I think this is quite interesting and probably is misunderstood by quite a few people. This is a... uh, 
this is no penalty is the answer. Um, and a player under decision 14.3.18, which is in the rules decision book, states that a player may access information in that manner. The prohibition in rule 14.3 is only applicable to the specific act of gauging or measuring conditions that might affect a player's play, i.e. through the use of a thermometer for temperature. When accessing weather reports provided by a weather station through an app or internet browser, the player is not actively measuring or gauging the weather conditions. So it's an interesting one because I think it's probably misunderstood by people. And um, just just in case, my usual my usual golf partner is usually listens to this podcast, and he was actually the one that pointed me in this in the direction of my answer, and um, because I was caddying for him, and he told me not to use his phone because it might be deemed as uh, obtaining information. So I was bored off my tree caddying for him for four hours because I couldn't use my phone. So if he's listening, I just want to, I just want to notify him that he, I'm going to give him a good whooping next time I see him. <laughs> he's fired. <laughs> well, as I say, I think it's definitely one that is misunderstood. I know it was a question that when I was looking at the decisions, thought that's one that I think mm. a lot of people on the course go, oh, you can't be doing that because you might be getting information. But in fact... As long as you're not gauging or using a thermometer, you're, you're absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, moving on then, we had the KLM Open in Holland, Dutch? Yes. The Dutch Open? Canemer Golf Club. And Paul Casey wins this. This was his 13th European Tour victory. Um, he won, wins by a shot over his fellow Englishman, Simon Dyson. He had a remarkable weekend golfing in the fact that he started eight strokes behind after 36 holes and ends up winning it. He had a phenomenal 62 on Saturday, which at one stage there was a lot of rumours going around that it could have been a 59, but it just slightly got away from him, and I think he bogeyed 18 in any event, um, and that was the end of it. It was a great, I suppose, confidence booster for Paul Casey, who's been slightly out of the wilderness for quite a while and has been going out of the world rankings. I think he got down to 89 or 90 at this stage, mm. and he's now gone back up. But, Barry, did you see much of this, and, and do you think that this is possibly Paul Casey 2.0? Yeah, I watched quite a good bit of it. Um, it's great to see him back, you know, former top, uh, f- former third in the world uh, player. So, um, and you know, kind of went through a raft of injuries, a skiing accident, so it's... It's brilliant to see him back, and he absolutely destroyed the field with his long game. Um, the, his driving was sensational, and uh, he really just—he uh, looked in control the whole day. You know, from from the whole day on Sunday, he looked in control. He got off to a nice start with some birdies on the front nine, and um, a few early birdies. A few early birdies. Yeah, he had four birdies in the first seven holes. So yeah, that's really going to yeah. put you in a good position, and then. Um, you know, he just—he never—he never looked uncomfortable in the final round, which is um, it's. It's as you know when players kind of go off the boil for a few, for a while, like he has done. It seems hard, harder for them to get over the line, whereas he just seems to just slap right back into that comfort zone. Now maybe it was like a duck on water. That, you know, the, the legs are going crazy underneath. The only thing I would say is I think he's I think he's probably a class above this field. Like he won the Irish Open last year, kind of mm. uh, on the car, on the Monte and Carton, and again it's links ish course. This was a links ish yeah. course again. I think I don't know. I think he's probably a class above this, and I'd say that's probably why he. Looked so calm that possibly only Loughton maybe and yeah probably Loughton is probably the only one that might be at his level really mm. you know. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, I, I think you're dead right in that. Like it, it was second place um, or third. Well, second place was Simon Dyson. 
he just kind of ran out of steam. He went out in 30 on the final day, came back in with a 65. Um, Roman Wattel of France um, ended up, he started four strokes ahead on the final day and ended up with a very disappointing 74, which I think probably proves how hard it is to win on the European Tour. But I think I would agree with you, Bobby, about the fact that this was really, for want of a better phrase, a second-rate Competition, you know, all the big names weren't really there, and if he couldn't get over the line in this, would that have asked more questions about Casey and where he is in this game? Well, the only thing is, I mean, when you compare it to, let's say, the American event, the Tour Championship, it is a second-rate event, but I think it's still a quite a decent European Tour event. But I think that the, I think Casey is just he's just another level up compared to most of the field. I think, but um, yeah, no, I think yeah. I, I just think Casey is the class act in the, in the field, and he, and he played up to it. I think it's kind of like when, you know, let's say if Alan was playing against Barry, you know, Alan would always know he's better than him, so he, he's always going to be in that commandeering position where he just walks away with it. You know what I mean? So with eighty four percent of golfers. <laughs> so are we talking about golf now, or just life in general? <laughs> Got him. Okay, no comments. Well, I, I thought outside of all of that. Barry, you backed Eddie Pepperell last week on the podcast and he ended up fourth and didn't quite get going, I think, over the course of the week to, to really compete. But probably the, the standout story of the weekend, other than Paul Casey having another victory on tour, was uh, the, the, the story of Andy Sullivan, um, who finished third overall, but he aced the 15th. And we talked last week about the hole-in-one competition and the BMW and then not getting another BMW. Mm. He didn't get a BMW this week. He's got a trip to space, mm. which uh, is interesting for a man who says that he's scared of heights. Yeah, yeah, it's something else. Like The, the hole-in-ones are just coming along like Dublin buses at the moment. You know, None for a long time and then loads all at once. And it's very interesting that they clearly stipulated this week, and um, we touched on it last week, that it was the first player to get a hole-in-one gets the trip to space after obviously uh, the two guys last yeah. week and we were kind of critical that BMW didn't follow through for the second guy. They didn't clearly stipulate that the first guy to get to get the hole-in-one yeah. gets the BMW. Yeah, I think probably sending two people to space is probably more expensive than yeah. an I-8. Yeah. But, well, I think it was over, over $100,000 in value the trip is. And Did you see the size of the thing they're going up in? It looks no bigger than a shopping trolley with some covers on it. It's tiny. Like You barely fit a couple of people in it. Well, uh, as I say, he, he made an interesting comment afterwards when he got told, I think his caddy realised that he was going to space, and then the first thing he asked was, is it a seat for two or just for one? And uh, I think uh, Andy Sullivan said, well, hold on, I swung the club. <laughs> you know, I'm going, but I don't like heights. <laughs> if he's afraid of heights, he might send the caddy up then instead. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Oh, well, I heard that he uh, he said that if he had an argument with the wife, he might send her up instead. <laughs> 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 I thought it was a bit, uh, obviously he was out of arm's reach. Um, la- last week I, I made a comment uh, on the podcast that we pro- possibly had lost our only female listeners and uh, a tweet came in to say that there was actually quite a few female listeners so I, I, I apologise for that and I suppose we're going to give a few minutes then to the Evian Championship which is the LPA, LPGA's final major of 2014 and um, Kim who is a 19-year-old South Korean, finished with a birdie on 18 after an incredible second shot to win her first major in her very first attempt over the veteran Kerry Webb. It, it was quite a, interesting to see the amount of pressure that I thought her second shot into 18 put on Kerry Webb, who wasn't that far. She was on the fringe of the, the mm. 18th and ended up taking three to get up and down. The one thing I think they were both going down the last. Carrie Webb was one ahead of uh, Kim, and Carrie Webb 
yeah, as you say, Kim kind of hit it into about 15 feet on the very tough last, and then Carrie Webb, who, there's an interesting side story, this is now the fifth women's major, and I think she has won five different majors already, and this is, so So there would have been previously another major that is no longer a major, so yeah, she's won all the majors that have ever existed, and the only one that, this is now the sixth one that she could have won, mm. and this is the only one she hasn't won, she was leading by one gun in the last, missed the green, chipped up to 8 feet, Kim hit it into about 12 feet, she held the birdie putt, and then Carrie Webb missed it, so she was going down the last lean by one, and then actually not even making a playoff. Webb's chip was poor on 18, She just I think she had to blade a wedge to get it down there, and she, just, she overhit it by a mile. Well, I, th- I thought that um, Kim, and the, I suppose the question that I had, had, had posed was going to be whether it was Kim went on to win it, or Carrie Webb had actually blown it with the 3 putt, but... Kim started with what I have to acknowledge was a record-breaking 61 in the first round, which was the lowest score ever in a major for either a men or a ladies. So, um, you know, for a 19-year-old to, to do that on the Thursday, put two 72s together and then go out and, and, and win on the Sunday, mm. I think it's probably hard not to, um, to, to say that she went out to win it rather than Kerry Webb, who... They kept calling a veteran, and then I found out that she was only 39, and I kind of thought that was a bit harsh <laughs> to keep calling her a veteran at the age of 39, but where there all seem to be 19 and 20-year-olds who win these tournaments. Well, she's <laughs> more than twice the age of Kim. <laughs> well, that's it, yeah. um, the only other interesting thing, and I, I suppose this is a question that I, I posed to, to any of you guys, is that the top four out of the top five on Sunday were South Korean ladies. Um, and it's amazing how they can dominate the women's game, but not actually seem to replicate it in the men's tour. Anybody have any views on why that might be? Well, I, I think there there's a huge um, kind of move in movement in Asia at the moment, and particularly in Korea around golf. And from a very young age, there's a lot of kids. There's a lot of kind of mention about kids from a very young age out practicing seven, eight hours a day. And there's a, a general view amongst the golf industry that the in 10, 15 years years time that will be the Asians will be absolutely dominating the sport. And I think probably there is for the ladies it's probably less of a strength difference dif, difference between the Asian ladies and I suppose Western ladies that they're able to make breakthrough there a lot easier. And I think it'll probably be only a matter of time before they start to break through on the men's game. Mm. Um, so I think that's the thing, but um, there's been a lot of, the LPGA have had a lot of issues over the last few years. Uh, back in 2008, the LPGA commissioner came out and insisted that if any Korean players played for two years in a row, that they had to give um, interviews in English. Um, wow. And, of course, sure enough, there was an absolute war over this. And one of the reasons that she gave was that she thinks it'll help the Korean... This is back in 2008 now. It was Karen Krause of the New York Times who wrote this. One of the reasons that she gave was that... Actually, I think I don't know if it was a female commissioner, but one of the reasons was that uh, it would help them get out from underneath the stewardship of their fathers that they were still dominating. Any time they were interviews, their fathers were standing over them, whereas they could learn English, it would help them. So there was a lot of hassle over that, and they had to ban that rule in the end. Don't the men over in Korea, don't they have to do national service as well? I think they might, yeah, now that you say that. Mm-hmm. Um, That's only a year, though, isn't it? But that would I'm make them sure. stronger. It's either a year or two years over there, I'm not sure. Yeah. That, that, can seriously, that could seriously affect your development as a golfer. But isn't there at that age as well? Yeah. You'd be at the kind of prime golfing age. Well, maybe a, for 
maybe American listeners could say this, but I think as well, anytime Americans uh, do their time with the army, that they actually can get to play golf and they can get actually access to golf practice if they're quite talented. So I don't know whether, I, I would be surprised if that's not the case in Korea when there's such a big movement going on in golf. Is it still mandatory in America though? We're getting into a very political discussion here. <laughs> yeah, I know, but we'll be starting off on an American-Korean war before we know it. Well, I, I, well, it was just, it was interesting. I just, it was something yeah. that popped into my head when I was, when I was looking at it, just but, quite the but, amount of domination that they have. Well, just, just for information, there are 33, uh, lady, ladies from South Korea on the LPGA tour registered and there are 11 men on the PGA tour. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the, look, the men have had a bit of success, you know, KJ Choi, Wai Yang, and, you know, more recently Bay Sang Moon or Sang Moon Bay. Um, so they're, they're, they're getting there, but not to the same extent as the, the women. None of them are even challenging for majors whereas all the ladies are. Yeah. Um, and I think this KJ, is the second. KJ's a beast, though. Yeah, he's you know, a... Based on your strength argument, he'd knock the shit out of most of the <laughs> players on the US tour. He was I thought we were going to have bo- a Ray Rice moment. Former bodybuilder. <laughs> KJ used to be a bodybuilder, so he has that kind of strength, inbuilt strength. And you suggested that he might be more, an, he might be more an exception as well. But, um, the, but the, the, and the point I'm making is when Kim gave her interview she had to have a translator. And I think that probably, it makes it harder for American audiences, I suppose, well, I suppose Western audiences, to warm to someone when mm. you're really not getting to see their personality, you're not getting to see them interview direct. So we'll see how that one goes anyway. I suppose it depends on which way they want to move the LPGA, if, mm. if the Asian market is where they, they think that the sponsors are. But it's interesting. It's something I think that we might have to come back to and have a better look at. And um, So for, for the, the people who tweeted in over the course of the week, uh, I hope, that probably rectifies my mistake last week. And still uh, got a two-shot penalty, James. Well, that's all right. Well, uh, I'll take that. Look, moving back then stateside, we had the final of the FedEx Cup, which was the Coca-Cola Tour Championship. And so after a very long season and with four back-to-back tournaments in the playoffs, we now know that Billy Horschel is both the 2014 Tour Champion and uh, also incredibly a very nice $10 million richer. Actually, I think he's about 11.5 million after last week because he got the pocket, the prize money too. I think they were saying that through the playoffs he earned with $13.5 million between the yeah. four events and mm, yeah. the things. That's a nice, nice bit of we- work for four weeks. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, very lucrative August, September, yeah. isn't it? Well, that's, that's, I suppose, a very interesting point that you make that it was it's a lucrative and, and profitable couple of weeks because I, I want to pose this question to Barry. Is he actually the best player this season or is he just the most informed player when it actually mattered, which was at the FedEx Cup playoffs? I, I definitely think it's the latter, as you say. Um, well, this is what the playoffs are design- were kind of designed for: was you know for somebody to peak at the right time and you know generate a bit of excitement. Um, they kind of missed the excitement part a little bit this year, but uh, you know he definitely definitely got hotter than anybody else uh, during this stretch of four tournaments. And um, for my mind. Uh, definitely deserved to win the $10 million ahead of anybody else in the playoffs over the whole season. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it's debatable. See, I think that there was always concern amongst the PGA that the season finished in August when the PGA Championship, and I think we all agree that when you, your interest a bit would almost wane after the PGA, and they came up with something to try and keep the interest of people and create a season ending. And when you look at how many people are complaining of fatigue, like Stenson, Keimer, McElroy, they're Mickelson. all, yeah, Mickelson, they're all complaining that they're burnt out. So, um, I think the only way that they can get these guys who are really tired to keep playing is going, here lads, here's $10 million, and that's what it's doing. Well, Alan, 
I suppose out of curiosity, do you think the money is actually more important? Like, the money is $10 million. It's more than they get for any of the, the four majors. Is this, in truth, now really... Forget about the Players' Championship. This is really the fifth major for these boys. Isn't that right? Well, I suppose I look like people are always complaining that, you know, the FedEx Cup doesn't reward the best player of the season, but I don't think it's intended to do that. Mm. Like, the FedEx Cup is effectively, it's nearly like another another season within a season. Yeah. And I think the money, the money, I think, the money is obviously important for some players and not so important for other players. You look at Billy Horschel, who, whose wife was about to drop a bomb and... Uh, <laughs> She's going uh, to have a baby. She's having a baby, not a number two, by the way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he obviously was prioritising the golf because, as he said himself, there's $10 million on the line. Whereas you see a guy like McElroy who's coming out saying that the money, he doesn't play for money anymore. So it does depend on where you stand in the game, I suppose. But like, I, I think the FedEx is really, at this stage, it's a sprint more than a marathon. Mm. So you just need a guy who comes into form who is actually hit like and you look at Horshley, he went second, first, first. He just hit a really hot streak at the right time. And on the other side of the fence, you look at a guy like McElroy, he's in six weeks, he won two majors at a WGC and you can see it at the weekend, he was totally burnt out. Like he hit a couple of bad shots and the sh- the shoulders kinda of went down a bit and he was walking a bit kinda of nearly like lazily. Whereas six weeks ago he had a big jump in his step and he was flying down the fairways. And he's just he's just mentally shot. And I mm. think I suppose the other thing to factor in is the fact that for the first time there's four back to back FedEx events. Yeah. As we said as you guys said last week, there's generally a break to give these guys a week off, but because of the Ryder Cup, it's basically just all out for four weeks. So now, as I said previously, I think it really is a season within a season and it's mm. just a four week sprint and to see who, who it really just kind of hinges on who's in form for those few weeks well I, I thought just ter- touching on Rory McIlroy I, th- I thought that you're absolutely right the shoulders definitely slumped especially on Sunday halfway through the round when he, he kind of pushed back out and he knew he couldn't mm. you know but when he couldn't win it I have to say though that his iron play on the way back in when he knew he couldn't win was just phenomenal like his second into 17 nobody was finding it able to even get it close and he just stitched it to about three inches and um, his putter really let him down, and I think we talked about it, maybe we did or we didn't talk about it last week, about his 2-4 putts. Again, the putter kind of let him down again this week, and I think the stats pretty much back that up, isn't that correct? Yeah, unfortunately in the final round he dropped nearly two strokes um, against the field average for putting, so that's that's just not going to help you on a Sunday. And th- th- Those five shots he dropped in six holes really killed him off, and um, he said 10 was kind of pivotal when he had a 20-footer for birdie and he ends up three-putting it and Billy made bogey at that time as well and it was kind of that was when it really his challenge kind of just disappeared I, I actually thought he drove the ball quite poorly over the four days as well he, he, he seemed to be missing left and right but I think kind of on your, on your point there with the putting James I think the one key stat that stood out for me in terms of Horschel was that his season, over the course of the season, he was outside the top 100 in all the putting stats. And in the FedEx season over the four events, he was second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was second in strokes gained putting, either first or second, I think, in all the key putting stats. So it just mm-hmm. shows if you, if you actually hit a hot period with the putter, that's when you, that's when the results really start to show. Well, I, I, I think, the, the interesting thing about Billy Ho is he's clearly the most informed American player out there at the moment, you know, and, and it just clearly, two wins and a tied second over the last couple of weeks. 
he's not going to Glen Eagles. Um, is that a mistake in the system that Tom Watson put in place or the USPGA put in place that you know the, the pairs were picked or the, the, the captain's picks were just picked too early? Well, Alan, Alan did make, make that very good point about this being the only event where there's four in a row, but I th- I'd be very surprised in two years' time if there isn't a change to the captain's picks to allow f- to be able to pick. Because Jason Stovall wrote a very good article on the Golf Channel saying that, you know, Horschel would definitely be on the team, Barry. And I think you probably think maybe there might be a chance for Kirk as well might have got selected because he was very good in two out of three events. So I think that if uh, if they were picking now, Horschel would definitely be in. 100%. Yeah. And Simpson would be gone, I think. I think that's a straight swap. I mean, Horschel, you know, in the, in the FedEx Cup was tied with Jason Day as the lowest under par cumulative for all the events so um, I mean, he'd, def- he'd definitely get a spot right now and if you ask Tom Watson in a, you know, in a bubble obviously without all the media flack that will come back to him Watson actually said he he contacted Billy Horschel and I don't know whether it was a text and said why didn't you play this well or too earlier on <laughs> so he's, you know he kind of said why didn't you play uh, well yeah. earlier and Billy, Billy went back to him and said you know, you're dead, right? So I just didn't do it in time. Yeah, it's a shame. Like, I mean, it's like Watson almost kind of hinting in a way that the, the picks may have come too early for him. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, I think there's a good argument for holding, even holding one pick back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. as in if you make if you make two picks a couple of weeks ago, but you hold one pick back for a guy who's really informed. So, like, you see a guy like Horschel, and then it's a no-brainer to pick him. Um, I suppose the only danger of it is then if you, if you don't have any guys in form. And then he goes, ends up picking a guy like Simpson this close. Simpson probably thinks, oh, Jesus, I was, <laughs> I was the real uh, last chance or the runt of the litter, as they say. <laughs> well, I, I, I just wonder, and I think, I think it's a great idea. I, just, I think particularly the US and probably to a lesser extent the European tour, but they love the razzmatazz. Like that, th- those captain's picks press conference went on for ages, mm-hmm. you know, and there was a lot of video and there was interviews mm-hmm. with all of them and blah, blah, blah. I just think that if you did two and then you came back two or three weeks later for the the final one, it would lose the momentum. And I think they love that big razzmatazz, especially on like the likes of ESPNN, which would have been holding it. Say the picks. Say for example, the picks were actually t- today, which is a Tuesday, right? Is that enough time for these the picks to be prepared for the Ryder Cup come uh, Friday week? McEnroe is not flying over till Monday, I think, to, and all the Europeans okay. arrive into Monday, and they're all taking the week off. So, I, but I mean, mentally prepared, just to mentally prepare is kind of what I was getting at. Do you think no problem? I don't think so. Um, personally, no, I don't. Th- I think they just adapt. And I think they'd be they'd be excited mm. about it. You know. Well, let's have a look at parents and. I well, actually, that was one point I was going to make. Is I think uh, I I was actually going to make the point that. The, the thing that thing that disappoints me about uh, Billy Horschel is I think he would have been a brilliant pairing for um, Bradley in 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 the actual uh, in the in the Ryder Cup. Like the two of them would have been great. It would have been really exciting. It would have been fireworks, you know. But I think um, I think they're probably fairly well off that they have a lot of very good pairings anyway. To do, yeah. I mean, Horschel would have been like the American Poulter. Like how just that intensity. He he looks like a, a Ryder Cup player. Just fall all out. Um, I wonder his wife would have taken it. Oh, if he's over there when she's giving yeah. birth. Yeah. Is that not the perfect excuse? Probably. <laughs> I, was, I was looking at the pairings actually, and particularly on the US side, obviously when I was mentioning Bradley, like Br- Bradley's, I assume, 
Bradley really, himself and Mickelson are going to play a lot of golf together. But I was also thinking that Fowler and Watson, I think, are going to be a great pairing. Because the two of them are very good friends. If I'm, I'm open to correction on that now. I think they are. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, big, they're always on uh, Twitter together, you know, bant- bantering back and forth. And they hang a little yeah. bit together. Um, but well, I think, sorry, go on. Well, I think, like, Watson's made it pretty clear that he's playing Bubba and Simpson together. Oh, and, okay. uh, that's, and that was his logic behind when he said, oh, I woke up and I thought, Webb Simpson, Bubba Watson, that's my pairing. I think he's going to play the two of them, but I think Fowler would play, could play with Mayhan, because they all good, real, very good friends, Ben Crane, Mayhan. The golf boys, yeah, yeah. Whatever, yeah. So I think he might play with Mayhan, or else I actually think, I think Fowler and Furek would be really good together. I, do you know what, I, when we were looking at this a few weeks ago, I was looking at Jimmy Walker, and I think he's second on PGA Tour and birdie, so I was thinking he's going to be a great four-ball partner. I was thinking someone like Kuchar and Walker playing together in four-balls. I think they would be a cracking partnership, because I think they'd just be birdies coming from everywhere, and the both of them are actually very, very good in the putting stats. So I think they could be a very strong pairing as well. That's the one I was looking at. But um, but it's interesting you mentioned about Bubba, because I was trying to find somebody, when I look at the American team, Anyone that actually could stand Bubba, because I know, especially amongst the fans, a lot of people hate Bubba Watson. So I was thinking, well, who on the team would actually be interested in playing with him? You know. Mm. Well, the other thing is Bubba and Bubba and Simpson went three for four in the 2011 Presidents Cup. So and that was that was away from home. So that was in Australia. Okay. Um, and they won three of their four matches. So I think. I, to me, they, you can take that to the bank that the two of them are playing together. I think like the, the, the ones that really, when I look at the American team, the ones that I, I I really want to see who they play with is Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth. I'm intrigued to see who they get paired up with. I think, and I was looking at some of the European pairings when it comes to that in a minute, but I think that Spieth is kind of similar to Donaldson and Gallagher that um, in my view they'll need a senior head to look after them so I think someone like Furyk might end up playing with Speed or someone like that I think Mickelson will probably be tagged against Bradley or Fowler as a real kind of all guns blazing pairing whereas I think Speed is going to have someone uh, again or Zach Johnson even Somebody with a little experience calming influence you know Furyk and Johnson could definitely take Reed and Speed under their wing Can you over the uh, over the the, the first two days, can you see somebody sitting out and not playing any of the four balls or foursomes and just coming in Ooh. for this, the, oh. the, the singles? I don't think so. I don't think I don't think this is a, an, an Andrew Coltart, um, Jean Van Der Velde, and who was it, Jermo Sandlin? I don't think it's. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think we're in that caliber of player anymore. I think I think on both sides, I think the twelve players, I think they're all too good not to play on the first two days. I, I think it's just. I think it's terrible for team morale if you leave them out either, as well until the Sunday. Yeah, and I, for their confidence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I um, I was actually just when you mentioned Bubba and uh, Simpson playing together, the two of them are obviously big Bible bashers, so uh, they'll uh, they'll obviously mad into that. And then I was actually looking through the rest of the team. There's Zach Johnson as well. So they'll probably have a prayer meeting and stuff like that going on, going on every day, you know? Is that why they, they, maybe they're trying to get redemption from the miracle of Medina, so, uh, yeah, that's yeah, why that word redemption keeps the, being thrown yeah, around. The, re, the redeem team they're calling yeah. themselves. Is it? Yeah. In, in terms of the European team, um, you know, I, I would have thought that the likes of GMAC and Rory are, are locks to, to play pretty much over the course of the week, and, um, Am I right on that? As in play every session? Well, to, to play, if, when they play, they play together. Um, 
It's a bit of a grenade of a question. Well, I, I, I think that off the, off the course, and I see that this week, uh, just uh, before we came on air, there was talk about mediation taking place between Horizon and Rory over the next couple of weeks before or just after the Ryder Cup. But I, I don't think the off-the-field stuff is, is relevant. I think... Well, I think the crux of the issue, and I think you're touching on it there, is if McElroy and McDowell are going to play together. And I think that's probably the question as well, is does anyone think that McElroy and McDowell are going to play together? I, I, I couldn't see them playing a few months ago, but now that like you see G Max left Horizon and that that kind of stuff is probably blown over. And then I saw, I actually saw a tweet about three weeks ago where the two of them were having an NFL game together. Yeah, they were probably there. With, I think they were there with some other tour players, but the two of them were in a picture with I don't know who the players were. Probably Ray Rice. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get taken off air this week, I think. But I don't know. I, I don't know who they were there with. But they were there together, and, th- and then that made me think. Oh well, maybe they will play together. It's hard to know. It's like it's hard to know what the relationship's like. Well, actually, that's a very good point that you make. That because uh, one of the reasons that Rory couldn't go to G Mac's wedding, and also the reason Rory and G Mac have never played. Uh, practice. They don't play practice rounds together anymore. Is that neither of them wanted to? Well, Rory in particular didn't want to be socializing with Horizon's management company. So maybe now that GMAC has left Horizon, maybe the management company are no longer around, mm. and then that problem is removed and they're able to play together. But I also think that at the end of the day, when it gets to sport, these guys are absolutely adamant of wanting to win the Ryder Cup, and if they work together and they are the best pairing, they will will go together and they'll put it for 18 holes they only need like they don't have to talk and I think where poor Carrington's there Paul McGinley the Irish connection they'll probably knock some heads together and, and get them yeah. over mm. in terms of other picks what what other pairings do we think that the European team are going to be looking at who do you think, who do you think Garcia's going to play with I, I, I think Garcia will play with McElroy. He, Garcia can't seem to get enough of cheering on McElroy when he was playing well this year and they seem to get on like a house on fire when they're on the golf course you see a lot of camera shots of the two of them walking away off the tee together you know having a laugh and you know a couple of weeks ago they were slagging Caroline Wozniacki about her hair getting stuck oh, on the yeah, racket yeah, you know the yeah. two of them mimicking her so I mean I think that's a possibility that could be a superstar pairing I mean I, they if they got going you'd hate to be playing against them if you're an American you just give them a win straight away what's your think on? um I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, I suppose. They, like, there's a very solid argument that you pair them up with Westwood um, because they've obviously played together. They're very similar style games. They've won five out of their seven matches when they played together. Yeah, so like that's like that one would stack up. But then I'm also thinking Westwood, Westwood could play with Keimer because they've played together before and they've been quite successful. Um, it's, you know, I suppose it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to. Uh, I don't know who to put them with. Then I, I was kind of thinking Stenson, but Stenson is the one that jumps off the page at me. I don't know who to put it. I don't know who to put Stenson with. I was thinking Stenson with Debuisson because it might offset if you play two bombers on the American team and you put Stenson and Debuisson out there hitting a three ten, three twenty off the tee. I think they'd be a great pairing. They'd be a great four balls pairing. I was thinking of, of, a, of a real length uh, pairing there and uh, continental as well. Are you come back from that. You know the way Dubuisson is quite reserved and shy. You think Stenson's kind of uh, humour and kind of character would 
kind of just put them at ease a bit. You know. I actually didn't think that, but that's actually a great point. I think they do. Have, they could have a very good blend of personality. I think mm. that's a great point. It's been noted actually that McDowell and Dubuisson get on quite well together, and that was that was one possibility I had in my mind for uh, a partnership that could go out there. Um, you know, they get along quite well on the European tour, and they've been in the same event together. Yeah, I, I think I think the European to- the European team is actually quite interesting because I think on the American one you can you can look there's a lot of ready made partnerships there that you look at and you you can easily see them all together. For me, like in Europe, the only one that you can pretty much lock down, I think, is Rose and Poulter. Mm. And, I know, and I know Rose was interviewed at the weekend, and he said he's looking forward to renewing his partnership with Poulter. So I think that's. I think that was pretty much locked down. But then once you get inside that, I think you can make an argument for putting anybody on the team with anybody else. Like I was listening to um, Gallagher and Donaldson were doing an interview with the BBC the other day, and yeah. the two of them were saying that they'd love to play with each other. But then you make the argument: do you put two rookies together? You probably don't. Yeah. yeah so, and I was touching on that earlier on. I think uh, I think Westwood is going to be a bit of a an older brother kind of for those guys I know those guys are 39 and 38, 39 38, 39 yeah. so I think he and I know it's, it's, he might even be older but I think he'll be the kind of experienced guy keeping an eye on them I think Westwood Donaldson could be a great could be a great pairing okay so that's what we think Money Where Your Mouth is Friday morning I think it's the foursomes um, pick your first team that's going out on the beginning tee Garcia McElroy. Okay, Barry. I go with that as well. Yeah, I I love that pairing. I I think that would just set the trend for the whole event. Only because it's the opening pairing. I think you go the two of them, big boys. Okay, so we've got the opening pairing here by these two lads, Alan. Who 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 do you put out behind them? Who do I put out behind them? Oh, I. uh, well, I would probably I probably put Rose and Poulter first yeah. out now. To be honest, myself first. Um, so first, yeah. I probably put them first. I'd anchor them. I'd put them anchor. Um, I don't know. It depends how McGinley wants to do it. I suppose I. Uh, Who know? Yeah, that's the thing. I can't. I, I can't see the pairings on the on the on the European team. I'm struggling to find them. I I, I think maybe Westwood Keimer would be in there as well. Certainly as a foursomes pairing. This might be an easier angle. Who do you leave out on the morning day one? Four guys. Who do you drop? I think that's quite straightforward. Um, I think Bjorn, Donaldson, Gallagher, and Dewisa. Okay, so it's kind of easier to get the pairings together from there. Then I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think if you're playing foursomes, I, I don't think Gallagher is a great driver of the, of the ball. I think now, uh, but I think Donaldson is. I, I, I've nearly been inclined to. I think you have to put you have to put a rookie in in the morning first in the morning you have to put one of them out and I think you put Donaldson out that's actually a great point yeah you're going to need actually that's a good point you're going to need to start blooding these guys over the first two days anyway yeah and I think Gallagher is actually Gallagher makes a lot of birdies so I think he'd actually be good for a four ball so if the foursomes are first I put Gallagher out in the afternoon and I might have Donaldson out in the morning yeah no I I think you're right and I think that you can also if if, if they come back and they've lost the point you've a whole weekend and you've a lot more time yeah. to get points yeah. back rather than sticking them out Saturday afternoon and then and then wreck it. I'm so getting, I'm, I know we didn't plan to talk about the Ryder Cup, but I'm getting very, very excited about it, I must say. 
Well, it's it's very, 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 very soon. And I think the Sky Sports channel starts oh, fairly soon for non-stop coverage over the next week the, or so. 18th in a couple of days' time, I think. It starts Friday, maybe, or Thursday or Friday. I think the Welsh Open, and I know we're coming to it, I think that is on Sky Sports Ryder Cup. I think that's... I don't know when it's in around then. It's not the 18th. I'll, I'll get Googling while yeah, you guys yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I'm hugely excited about the Ryder Cup, which brings me nicely on to the fact that I actually don't give two flying Fs about the Welsh <laughs> Open and I will probably not watch one shot of this other than for research purposes for next week's podcast. Am I am I on my own on this boat? Or? I think I think you might be surprised. I think actually the, with the couple of things that the the Donaldson's playing, Westwood was asked by McGinley to play in this, so I think Westwood's Westwood's playing. Um, so I think it might be interesting to see how he hasn't played for a while, has he? Westwood? Uh, not since the end of August, I yeah, think. So he probably uh, needs the, the yeah. Um, so I I think actually watching the. The actual European players that are playing the Ryder Cup, watching them for a bit of form. Also, we've no American golf, so I think by the time it comes to Saturday, uh, James, you'll be so starved <laughs> of golf. You'll be watching every single minute of it. Well, I, I think the interesting thing as well is McGinley has been in touch with, uh, Cat- I think it's, I presume it's in Celtic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, they're setting up the course very similar to Glen Eagles, apparently. So, in terms of width of the fairways, cut of the rough, uh, the amount of like first cut, second cut, and so on. So I think I think they I think they're trying to replicate Celtic Manor in the Glen Eagles format as much as they possibly can, and I think that's why McGinley was very keen for as many as many of the European team to play as possible. I know he wanted Poulter to play and McDowell, and I think the two of them said no; they prefer to practice. Um, so I think I think from a course point of view, it'll actually be interesting to see as well. Well. On that note, anybody going to... I'm not having a bet this weekend. Uh, I'm going to keep all my money in my back pocket for the Ryder Cup. Um, anybody actually having a bet? And if so, who? And is there any value or form in the betting? I was uh, I was tempted by Westwood. Just straight on the nose on him, but... 16 to 1. Yeah, and probably get slightly higher elsewhere, but I'm not having a bet. It's, it's the short one. I'm going to go over a little bit outside. I'm going to go with Peter Uline. starting to show a little bit of form recently. Mm. And this is a slightly American-style course, you know, and he's a long player. So, you know, you can definitely have an advantage if you've got length in his course. So um, uh, he's coming back into a bit of form and unbelievable player when he gets going. Yeah, he's at 40-1, to 1, so there might be a bit of value in him anyway. Going um, back-to-back weeks. Well, look, Alan, you're not having a bet, are you? No, nothing for me, no. No, very good. Um well, that, that brings us to the end of the show, and um, that just leaves me, again, to, to say thank you very much to the lads for their contributions. Thank you, the listeners, for uh, listening. Again, anybody who wants to get in contact at Golf Podcast GTS uh, or at Spoiled at gmail.com, we'd love you to get onto iTunes and give us a rating, and make sure you tell your friends or golf buddies about us as well, because the more that listen, the better the show is. Um, so that just says... Goodbye from me. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend, either playing or watching the golf, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye, man. Well, you're fine. Bye-bye.